I'll tell you from the reports that I'm seeing, it, it sounds pretty damn probable that we're at least going to get Tampa starters for the first half. Welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com and part of Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and this week it's our NFL Week 18 breakdown with special guest, professional better Tommy the Hitman. We break down the Hitman's general approach to this week's unique betting landscape, as well as bets we like now, and also having the sights as kickoff approaches. Plus, with the first ever Super Wildcard Weekend around the corner, we dig into the Hitman's betting process for the playoffs and how that differs from the regular season. For more on the Hitman's background and some fascinating insight he shared in previous conversations, you can check out episodes 49, 50, and 60 in this podcast feed, as well as episode 85 for an interview we did while I was hosting Last Word Cheetah back in November. As a quick heads up, the Hitman was playing hurt, he's recovering from COVID right now, so while I always appreciate his time and insight, that's especially the case with this conversation, and the audio quality does drop off a bit at times, I tried to keep it as clean as possible, and I definitely decided to keep everything in, in order to share every bit of his wealth of knowledge. One housekeeping note before we cut to the conversation, if you want NFL picks driven by analytics and thousands of simulations, Check out the Cutting Edge Quick Pick section for free at Dimers.com. You can find that via the link in the show notes to see where you want to get down on the Dimers Bot's biggest edges. And now, enjoy my conversation with professional better, Tommy the Hitman. Tommy the Hitman, welcome back to Props and Hops. Nice to see you, bud. It's been a few months. It's been a long, grinding football season that I talked to you a little about that I'm kind of looking forward to the Super Bowl being done with and having some time to relax and decompress, but I'm ready to grind through this last month. Yeah, right there with you. It sounds like you've got a nice trip booked shortly after the Super Bowl. Well-deserved, but we've still got a few weeks left to try to finish strong here. And before we dig into Week 18 want to acknowledge that with this appearance, I believe you become the first Props and Hops Five Timers Club member. We can go ahead and count the two-part conversation we had this past summer, the first time I brought you on, as well as an interview from the episode I hosted of Last Word Cheetah, which exists in the Props and Hops feed. So this would make it five episodes featuring you. I know by Saturday Night Live standards, I'd owe you a pretty sweet jacket. So I'm hoping a good betting conversation will do in this case. There we go. Or, you know, I mean, I take, I take checks as well, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you off the hook on this one and I'll just, uh, we'll um, have another good conversation like we did the past four times. You're usually the guy with the hot tips. I'll see if I can return the favor in any way sometime soon. And uh, usually my MO would be to offer up some good beer, but perhaps I can put a good cocktail or two on the radar for Bet Bash 2 a couple months after the season. Yeah, that's that's good with me. I need one right now. You can kind of tell in my voice a little bit that I'm still recovering from Corona, and I had it pretty bad last week, and now I'm just on like the the stuffy nose end of it, and, and the the body aches are still there a little bit. 
but I haven't had a cocktail since then. So I'm honestly counting down the days that I can finally start to decompress and have a drink. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What was that like for you? Just uh, how severe was it? And it seems like you worked through it talking about the grind that this can be. How was that experience? Yeah. I mean, you know, I kind of had it like, it, it was like the flu and you know, you're in bed and I would bring my laptop in the bed and I'd obviously have my phone going off the, the entire time that, that's going on. And I mean, it's funny. It's funny actually, because I had my worst betting week of the entire year last week. So like everybody was saying, well, I guess you could just blame the fact that you had Corona that you couldn't get the work done and everything. And I was yeah. like, no, nah, you know, well, I got just as much work done as I normally would. And it was just some negative variants that I had this week, but yeah, you know, I mean, it sucked, but I'm still here. I'm still talking and we're, we're uh, still going to try to make some money back this week. Yeah. Well, glad to have you on board as well. And after some rough variants in week 17, we'll try to open up some edges for some positive variants in week 18. And before we dig into any of the specifics, I know this is a unique week where motivation seems to trump other prominent factors like handicapping and keeping track of injuries and COVID news. So overall, how would you describe your approach to week 18? I'll tell you, it's a tough week to give stuff out to people. And the reason is, is that you just have so much news that's happening and the market is moving so quickly. So really for my approach, at least early in the week, is I'm trying to figure out the motivation angles and I'm just trying to react to news. And you got to see the other day that the Bengals announced that they're not playing starters. Well, you had a little bit of a window to react to that news and grab as much Browns plus three as you could and the market's now minus six. You got to see Mike Zimmer come out, say that he's going to play his starters. The market wasn't exactly positive if he was going to. Not line was a two and a half at that point, and now it's all the way up to five and a half. So it, it's really one of those weeks that it's hard to give picks out because the lines are going to move so much. But at kind of similar to the preseason, when you're going to get these big line moves, it often means that there's the most opportunity in this week. So that, that's one of the good things about week 18. And also the live betting, which I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into. It really is a live better's dream if you can kind of take advantage of some of the situations that are going to happen in these games that these algorithms cannot take advantage of with who's resting, who's going to play a little bit more conservative at the end of the game, who might play a little more aggressive at the end of the game, knowing that their season is on the line. So I will say that it, it is an advantageous week, but it's a lot of work, a lot of keeping up with the news, and it's very tough to, to give stuff out to other people for, for this week. Yeah, well, on that note, without giving out too much that we can't rely on, I would like to dig into a couple of games and follow up on what you talked about, finding opportunity amidst all this chaos, and maybe not just bets that you've already made that you'd recommend, but also games that you could have in the sites for potential in-running bets, whether it's sides, totals, or props. Is there anything on the board that you do currently like or anything that you'd recommend people keeping an eye on based on the approach you just outlined for this Sunday? Yeah, so one game that 
I saw a lot of value on and that is still available at a playable number is I laid four on Tampa for the first half. Four and a half is the current market. That's fine. In my opinion, get up to minus six. And the reason for that is we got to see the look at a line on this game. It was Tampa minus 15. That was assuming that Tampa would have motivation to win this game. Now, what happened last week with the Packers clinching home field, that changed Tampa's motivation a little bit where, yeah, they could get the two seed. They might be the three. They're probably not going to be full out trying to win. But Bruce Arians said they're going to play their starters. Now, the market's not fully believing that he's going to play the starters for the entire game or else this line would be in the 14-15 range like the look-ahead was saying. The market's also not saying that they're going to sit everybody because then the line would probably be Tampa minus one in, in that range. So under normal circumstances with Tampa playing their starters for, for the full game, you would see a first half line around seven in this game. And we're obviously getting four, four and a half because of that discount because the full game line is minus eight. So typically a book will cut it in half or at least in the general area of half of it. And that's what they did on this opener. And it's still four and a half at the moment. And I don't understand it, to be honest, because it seems very, very, very likely that Tampa is at least going to have their starters in for the first half. Now, could you get burned and Tampa decides after a drive or two, you know what, we were BSing, we're really not going to play our starters the whole first half. Yeah, you could, but I'll tell you, from the reports that I'm seeing, it, it sounds pretty damn probable that we're at least going to get Tampa starters for the first half. So if that's the case, you're getting tremendous value, I think, on, on Tampa minus four and a half for the first half. So that's really one of the only plays that the line hasn't moved a ton over the last two days. And I still can recommend as a as a pretty strong play that, that I bet a decent amount of money on. And for the record, because some of these lines can move in a big way in a hurry, we're recording this Wednesday evening, a little after 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. So hopefully, at least for some listeners catching this early, that will still be available. I know one bet that you liked earlier in the week that's no longer available the Vikings, you got down at two and a half. Even on the dream preview this week, you could still endorse them at three and a half. Now that line's all the way up to five and a half. So what do you make of that whole situation since it sounds like the market's starting to account for the fact that Zimmer likely going to give his starters a full go? Yeah, it kind of goes back to what I said, that this is a tough week to give stuff out because I even gave that game out to my clients at minus two and a half, and the board was about... 50-50 shaded at the moment, at that moment, from two and a half minus 120 to three even money around that. And I gave it out after Zimmer had his press conference saying that he was going to play the starters. And the line went up to pretty much flat threes within 10 minutes, goes up to three and a half 20 minutes later. And now you see with Justin Fields on the COVID list and also more followers are betting Minnesota after that news from Zimmer, it's all the way up to five and a half. And, you know, it, it's still a game that I would lean towards Minnesota because these teams just played a few weeks ago. 
Minnesota was laying seven in Chicago. Like, yes, Chicago had COVID concerns for that game, but it was four before the COVID concerns. So now you have a venue change, and nothing's really changed with these teams power rating-wise, but even you look two weeks ago, Chicago was getting seven in Seattle. And, I mean, I have Minnesota, a better power-rated team than Seattle, or at least very similar, and I don't think many people are going to dispute that. And, and we're still seeing a line that is less than that at five and a half just because of the logic, oh, Minnesota's out of it. Well, guess what? Chicago's been out of it for weeks, and they've been they've won their last two games. So I don't think that Minnesota's going to take this game lightly, and I, I still think that they have a little bit of value, although, like you said, it's it really – a lot of the value has evaporated over the last day or two on that one. At five and a half, would you, if you hadn't already gotten down, would you consider playing this even for a reduced amount? Or is there a, a point at which you say, hey, this is the price ceiling and just going to let that be what it is? I'm probably, I'm closer to six, six, six and a half. So at five and a half, you're, you're really getting to the point where I would probably just consider it a strong lean at this point in, instead. It, it's one of those that, you know, you had the whole week. You had a window, even after that Zimmer news where he said we're playing starters. You had a window where maybe the two and a halves didn't last super long, but the threes were there and the three and a halves were there for a long time. So it's one of those that if, if you miss the boat, the, the information is pretty much accounted for in the market where – I'd, I wouldn't be looking to play Chicago and it probably it would still be a lean towards Minnesota, but I probably would not have bet that at five and a half if I didn't already have a wager. A lot of bettors considering laying the five and a half with the Vikings may also want to consider passing if they are one of the many who took the Vikings over their team total before the season kicked off. Those who got down early, I know that includes you, were able to take the Vikings over eight. So I know, aside from a bet on the point spread in this game, just hoping for an outright win for Minnesota to push on that wager. And it sounds like independent of the two and a half points that you laid, just seeing Minnesota come through on the money line may bode well for your future children's college tuition, according to some tweets you sent out this past summer. Yeah, I mean, the eight was a number that was not out there long. It was it was basically the DraftKings opener, which was a number that just it wasn't out there long. I believe it was out there for like a day or two. And the Vikings, as you know, were a team that I was targeting from the offseason as a team that I thought was going to have a pretty good year. And I, I was able to jump on that and, and get a decent amount down at that opener. But I know a lot of people are laying eight and a half. And, you know, I mean, the eight and a half was a good bet compared to the closing line, obviously, because that line got up to nine and a half at some points during the off season. So it's a shame that the eight and a halves are dead right now. It's a shame that they're fighting for their life to win eight games because it was a team that you're going to look at their Pythagorean wins in the off season. And you're going to say, wow, this team really did underachieve compared to how many of these games they were so close. in." I believe that they were, up seven points or more at one point in the game in something like 13 of 16 of their games. And that's really indicative of a team that probably should have won 10, 11 games 
but it didn't happen this year. But as you said, it's gonna it'll be a big rooting day for me uh, on the Vikings money line this week, as well as the two and a half. Absolutely. And one other game I'm curious to get your take on in terms of a potential rooting interest could be the marquee game on the Week 18 slate, Sunday Night Football, the Chargers at the Raiders. When we spoke on Last Word Cheetah approaching Week 9, you mentioned being high on the Chargers and low on the Raiders at the time. I know a couple months have passed, but do you have any thoughts on this head-to-head matchup with the Chargers currently laying three and a total of 49 and a half? Yeah, I bet the Chargers at two and a half, lay 120, and I still like it at three, but I think that you, I, I can't see it getting much higher. So I, I do think that you might be best off to maybe wait and see if you could get some two and a half, especially if you have access to some Vegas bucks. I could definitely see with this essentially, essentially being the Raiders' first playoff game in as, as, far as them being the Vegas Raiders, I think that you could see some money in Vegas come on the Raiders, and maybe you do see that two and a half pop up again. But it's a game where I do like the Chargers. And I I will say that when when you get to the point in the playoffs or this late in the year, it's harder and harder to say you're getting tremendous line value. Like I, I make the game Chargers minus three and a half. So it's not something like, oh, this game is a point and a half, two points off, which you can find maybe a little earlier in the season. But I think that when you get this late in the year that you really have to start breaking down the matchups because, you're, as I said, you're not going to get the same type of line value that you got earlier in the year. And I think that this is just a Chargers team that matches up well with the Raiders. You, you saw them pretty much handedly beat them earlier this season on Monday Night Football. And the Raiders have regressed since that point. And they're really a team that, you know, I said that I was down on them the last time we talked, and they haven't done much to disprove that. Yes, they've been winning, but they have really taken advantage of some good situations as far as Corona with the Browns, who were six-point favorites in Cleveland. The Browns end up closing a dog in that game because of Corona the Colts with the Carson Wentz situation last week. This is still a Raiders team that hasn't scored more than 20 points in seven of the last nine games. And they're averaging 17 points per game since their bye week. It, it's just, to me, it's a team that is not very talented. And I believe that they've overachieved. And when I break down the defenses, I, I like the Chargers guys, their personnel on defense more than I like the Raiders guys. I like the Chargers playmakers more. I like the Chargers offensive line more. I like the Chargers quarterback more. I like the Chargers coaching staff more than an interim head coach situation with the Raiders. I think that this is finally the game that maybe it all catches up to the Raiders. And I think that the Chargers, even at minus three, are probably worth a bet in this game. Music to my ears as a Chargers fan. A lot of sharp guys I respect got in on the Raiders once this line approached three. But I might steal your talking point about the way the Raiders have been the beneficiaries of some lucky COVID situations in recent weeks because the Chargers, as of yesterday, their beat writer for the Athletic, Daniel Popper, tweeting out that the Chargers were down to zero players on the COVID list. So that might swing back against the Raiders in a big way on Sunday night. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, eventually, eventually the the clock's got to strike midnight on Cinderella, you know, and kind of feels like the Raiders have been that way and very fortunate the last few weeks. So I'm hoping that this is the week that it really catches up to them. Yeah, same here as a fan, and perhaps I'll get involved in that one as a better as well. And you mentioned, you know, a, a bit of a Cinderella angle there. And I think that's a decent transition to probably the, the one meaningful bet that I've made so far this week. The Dolphins, I know it'll feel like a Cinderella story if they can compete much with the Patriots to a lot of betters after seeing a 50-10 to 10 win for New England over the Jags last week, coupled with a 34-3 to 3 loss by the Dolphins. But with this number currently at six and a half, I feel like we're basically getting the Patriots priced at their best and the Dolphins priced at their worst. And a big talking point, again, week 18, all about motivation, the Dolphins off of the proverbial dream crushing loss last week. But I think there might be a bit of a free roll here on the Patriots side of things. I know Belichick is a grinder, tends not to let up on his players. So uh, a small chance, but a non-zero chance, nevertheless, I mean, the Patriots need Buffalo to lose to the Jets in order to have a shot at the AFC East. And the Bills are favored by a million right now. So if that game's approaching halftime and the Bills have a three-possession lead, I think there's a path to New England possibly letting up down the stretch, knowing they've probably got a road game coming up again next week. So do you see any value at the current spread, uh, Miami catching six and a half? Or what do you make of that game between the Patriots and the Dolphins? Yeah, I, I, I like Miami. In that game, I didn't personally bet it yet. Um, I'm still considering it, but I, I think Miami's a side to look at. And I want to give credit where credit's due. Uh, Clev TA on Twitter, really good follow for everybody. He posted that since 1990, teams are out of playoff contention are 94, 56, and four against the spread in the last two weeks of the year versus teams that must win to keep their playoff hopes alive. Now. The Patriots aren't in a must-win situation for their playoff lives, but obviously the same um, handicap applies. To, it's a big game for the Patriots to win the division, and it's really being priced into the market because the look-ahead line on this was two and a half, and now you're you're getting this many premium of the points because Miami really just had their dream crusher last week. But at the same time, these are professional athletes. Like I don't think Miami's gonna just give up and, and it's a big it's the game against a division rival it's Flores versus Belichick they want to win the game also and a lot the reason that that trend that Clev posted is so strong is because these teams the the market just accounts for the motivation they overly account for the motivation it gives you value on the other side and I feel that that that's the same way with uh, Miami this week that you have this extra value that's built that's in the line because of it being a must win spot or a big game for the Patriots. But that would indicate that Miami's just going to lay down. I can't see it happening. So yeah, I agree. I think there there's value on Miami and it might end up making my card this week. Love it. Yeah. I know it touched seven at a few spots earlier in the week and maybe it gets back there once the public gets more involved later in the week. So maybe some asymmetric risk if you haven't bet the dolphins yet waiting to see if it touches seven again. And if you haven't, gun to my head, if this is six and a half at post, wouldn't have any issue with that either. And at this point, I'd like to get into a few games. We can maybe go a bit more rapid fire, just some leans that I love to balance off of you. 
three games uh, I'm thinking of, the first of which would be Baltimore laying five to the Steelers. I know that looks like a big number, but I can't get out of my head as much as I try to avoid going down the narrative rabbit hole, how this game for Big Ben and the Steelers might be like that NFC Championship game in 2017 for the Vikings and Case Keenum after the Minneapolis Miracle, where he basically had such a high to come down from. And Keenum talked about during his media avails that week, he wasn't even really getting much sleep. This is a short week for Pittsburgh going on the road after just a huge party to send Ben off of, you know, Heinz Field on a high note in his last home game. And as much as I try to dismiss narrative, I just feel like that might be a factor here. You may well say it's already priced in when we see the Ravens laying five here. So I guess the bigger question, what do you make this line with or without Lamar, knowing his status currently a bit up in the air? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty confident. I, I'd make a major bet right now that Lamar is not going to play in this game. It really makes no logical sense for them to play him. He's a guy that relies on his mobility, and the playoff chances for Baltimore are so slim that he's probably not going to play. So uh, I really don't have much of an opinion on the game, to be honest with you. I do get what you're saying with Big Ben and them coming down from this high that they're on. But, you know, in their mind, theoretically, they probably believe that they have a chance at the playoffs. I mean, they do have a chance if, if the Colts lose and the Steelers win, then they're, they're in. So I think that it, it might be hard to see the letdown with them. And especially because it's Baltimore as well. If it was against a team that they don't have such a, a fierce rivalry with, it would be one thing, but there's, there's one thing. And I, I'm not a big trends guy that looks to go back at years worth of data where it's not relevant, where it's different players and all that, but it does seemingly feel like every game in this series is a close game between these two teams. And with Baltimore being so injured right now as well, uh, I probably honestly gunned the head leaned towards the Steelers. But it's probably going to be something that I'm not going to get involved with this week. Yeah, I'm glad we're having this conversation now because I, I knew I was really uh, giving their narrative a lot of weight in my mind. That tends to be a red flag for me. So that makes this... Uh, a lean my way for Baltimore still, but a pretty clear pass. And the next one I'd like to run by you, the Niners catching four and a half points at the Rams. This just seems to be a style clash in the Shanahan-McVay era. The Rams are built to take advantage of most teams in the league, you know, with the spread, you know, finesse kind of game. The Niners get a lot more physical, and it seems like that's given them the upper hand in this matchup over the years, even though power ratings might justify this number on the Rams at home. Any thoughts on the Niners catching four and a half points at the Rams on Sunday? Yeah, you know, I kind of would have liked the Niners if Jimmy G was starting in this game, but it does feel like it's very unlikely that Jimmy G plays. And Trey Lance, he's so raw right now, and we I really just – there's a lot of variance in it with how he's going to play. And does Shanahan even believe that he's ready to play at this moment? I don't know. So – it leaves a lot of variance. I get the side that people are going to point to saying that the Niners match up very well against the Rams. They've won five straight games against them. They've held the Rams to 20 or less points, I believe, in four of the five games that they've played against them. 
So I do understand that that maybe it's there, it's just fundamentally stylistically a bad matchup for the Rams, but it really comes down to for me what, what's going to probably end up making it a pass is that I, I don't know right now what to expect from Trey Lance, so it it, it probably ends up being a pass for me. Good point on the quarterback uncertainty and the added variance that Trey Lance would introduce. If and when Jimmy G is officially ruled out, do you think we see this line bump? I mean, I've seen time and time, time after time this season, it seems like we're already 95% sure somebody's in or out. And then the official word comes in, which is an afterthought to me, and we see a lot of market activity. So if Jimmy G is ruled out, how high do you think this line might get for the Niners? Yeah, I I don't think it's going to go much further up more because this line did get down to three and a half and then a lot of people started reporting that jimmy g was unlikely and we did get and we sort of take up the four and a half five and also what happened was uh the niners had some corona issues with their secondary so those two issues kind of bumped it up already so i do think that if we do, I, the market is kind of already expecting in my opinion that trey lance is going to be the starting quarterback. So I, I think that when Jimmy G is likely ruled out, which I think is pretty likely, that we're more likely to, that the line's not going to move as much. Now, if Jimmy G's ruled in, maybe you probably see Niners money. But I think that it's going to not move that much if Jimmy G does get ruled out. Got it. Well, one more game to get into just from a lean that I'm looking at. Staying in the NFC, the Saints at the Falcons. I know we had the Falcons listed at plus four and a half earlier in the week. Maybe I was greedy. I was hoping we might see a six with the must-win premium getting applied to the Saints. Now we're looking at three and a half as we record this. Do you think the line ticks back up as more of the public betting marketplace you know, sees that must-win angle for the Saints, and is there a price at which you might consider getting involved on the Falcons in this one? Yeah, you know, I thought that this line could make its way up to six, and a very sharp handicapper gave this game out who who has market influence, and that drove it down to three and a half. And I, I rarely, I rarely ever disagree with this guy as far as the bets he's making and the timing of his bets. But I thought that the timing of the bet wasn't what I would have done because I think that the the NFL is a league that the public can influence lines. And I did feel like this was a line that when the public does begin betting on Sunday and they see the fact that it's a must win game for the saints, that they money was going to pour in on the saints. So I'm looking towards the Falcons, but I'm going to wait. I might wait all the way until game time. And I'm going to see if maybe some sixes show up, which I, I, I would not rule out at the moment. But if they do show up, then I'm, there's going to be a strong consideration for me to back the Falcons. But at this point, I just think that if you like Atlanta, if you like the Saints, I'd probably bet it now. And if you like Atlanta, I would just I would wait on this one until the day of the game where we might see the line tick up. I will be right there with you, ready to fire if we do see those sixes. So for now, going to join you on the sidelines and just try to be patient here. One more thing to wrap up, week 18. I know it's a time where we see a lot of extreme line moves. We've already seen some this week, and we're probably not done with it. 
So this is a point where I think we can maybe weave in a staple of the show, the Molensky Minute, as a nod to the late, great David Molensky. He had some great insight on hedging and, and how it often doesn't make sense for betters. But in a case like this, we're not just talking about hedging in a lot of scenarios, but maybe betters looking to attack a middle opportunity. So could you touch on how hedging is not necessarily the same thing as middling, and perhaps a good place to start would be last week's game between the Browns and Steelers on Monday night? Yeah, so like what I view with hedging is, for example, I have a very big ticket on Tyler Hero to win sixth man of the year. That's some really good odds, 12 to 1, 14 to 1. And it's a sizable amount, and it's enough, honestly, to give me a pretty good sweat. And I don't say that about many bets nowadays because I've just become so numb to betting big amounts on events. But this one's enough to make it a really a sweat. And let's say it gets later in the year and maybe he's in a really – let's say he's in a 50-50 competition with one other candidate that could win it. That's a point where you might say, you know, I'm going to hedge a little bit because it is some bit pretty big life-changing money. It, well, it's not life-changing, but some people – it could be. And if, to you, if it's a really big amount and you want to lock something in, then go for it. It's a personal preference. With middling – I'm not a fan of middling unless you think that the other side has value. Unless, again, unless with the circumstance that it's life-changing money, it's an uncomfortable amount of money, or maybe let's say you overbet a side. Let's say there's break, you get news ahead of time about a quarterback's going to be out. Then I'll over, I'll overbet it at that point, knowing hey, I'm going to be able to play back. So I'll overbet my my bankroll at that point, but. For just a straight game, let's say you make your average bet on, on a team and the line moves significantly. No, I'm not middling it unless the other side has value. And the game that you brought up was that Steelers-Browns game. If you're taking the Steelers plus three and a half early in the week and the line moves six and a half points to the Browns, your Steelers bet is obviously tremendous as far as closing line value goes. Now... You're not going to play the Browns plus three just to middle it. You're only going to play that side if it is a plus EV bet by itself. So if you bet the Steelers plus three and a half and you said the true line is pick them in this game, in my opinion, and it gets up to Browns plus three, then guess what? If the true lines pick them, then Browns plus three has tremendous value. So that's when uh, you're, you should be middling. And betting both sides is when both sides have value unless you find yourself in a circumstance where life-changing money, not comfortable with the amount you have on something, or you just overbet your bankroll because you anticipated a line move. But if it's just a normal size bet and you don't have value on the other side, just always let that ride because if you're just – if you're taking – if you make a game pick them and you take three, three and a half, and let's say it closes pick them, you don't have to middle because you're going to be a rich man in the long run if you can consistently do that. So that's my advice for everybody as far as middling and, and hedging goes. Love it. I even think uh, Dave would be proud to hear those words. He, as good as he was with words, probably could not have said it much better himself. So that's probably the best couple of minutes uh, that we're going to get out of this conversation. 
But I do think your answer was also a good bridge to the topic of futures, some of which will be settled by Sunday evening, uh, some of which the players will be done and they might be settled with some end of year awards announced in early February. But first and foremost, I want to thank you on the topic of futures for your early look at the Bucks to win the NFC South. I know that was a dream preview best bet for you back in July. And the case you laid out made so much sense. I got down on it immediately at minus 160. That closed almost 300. So uh, it's great to have that one already home. Are there any other big futures bets that have already cashed for you or anything else that you'll be sweating this weekend? Um, yeah, you know, I bet a lot of volume in future bets this week, and a lot of them were season-long player stats. And that was a big market this offseason, especially – with a lot of the domestic FanDuel DraftKings bucks where they were putting up pretty much every player, every offensive skill position player, they were putting up a season long over under. And I bet a lot of those, it was more volume than it was um, like one specific long shot bet. And I had a really good year to be honest on them. So that was very fortunate. My long shots did not do great this year. The, the only ones that really come to mind that I still have a sweat on is I bet Brady at MVP at 12 to one. And that one, I mean, I, I think he should be the MVP, but obviously Rogers is the favorite right now. So I don't know how much of a sweat it is. Maybe if uh, Brady has a huge game this week, it will be more of a sweat. And, you know, I played Mac Jones offensive rookie of the year at 14 to one during the off season. And I didn't place it for a, a really big bet. So it, it wasn't, it's not a huge sweat right now, but it's funny because I spoke about hedging just the other, a, a minute ago. And I did play some Jamar chase minus 200 the other day. And that was honestly because I thought that line had value and I kind of just locked in a profit on that Mac Jones one, because I, I kind of believe that chase is probably going to win the award to be honest, but now no, no major sweats right now. I, like I said, I had a really good year with the futures and the season long player prop market is just a, a great market to bet into for me. But a lot of the long shots I placed like most receiving yards for the year, rush yards, all those type of bets awards didn't have the, the best of, of uh season. So no major sweats on those this year. You've laid that out really well in the context of a few bets like MVP, Offensive Rookie of the Year, but maybe for some people listening who have other types of futures uh, on the line and you know they're, they're thinking of a bigger picture approach, could you speak to how you'd recommend factoring in any exposure on futures as it pertains to how to build out your Week 18 portfolio? So for, for, for what example would you say? Like if somebody has a season wins... Yeah, like let's say somebody has your Vikings number. I know eight was not available long, but let's say they're looking for a team to probably push or a team's, you know, they they laid a a hook and it can't push. So they're going to win or lose the bet this weekend. And they're also looking at playing that game against the spread. On one hand, if you see value against the spread, you might as well go ahead and take it. But at the same time, it's important probably to be mindful of your exposure so you don't put yourself in an uncomfortable position. Yeah, yeah, I I could agree with that. Like if if you... If you have a, a team, I know Atlanta this week, they're coming down to the wire on their season wins, and so are the Saints. 
So if you already have some prior exposure, yes, be aware of that. And if, if you're trying to get off a position, if a season-long position, let's say you, you bet Atlanta over and this week is going to be the week that determines if you win or lose, I really wouldn't go out of my way betting the Saints or anything this week unless you found that that side had value. I really would just look at them as two independent bets, independent markets, and I really wouldn't worry that much about it. The, the one thing that maybe you start worrying about is if you made big long shot wagers, like I said, rookie of the year, de- defensive player of the year. Maybe if you have maybe a huge Parsons ticket, you look to play Watt, something like that. I'm not opposed to, but for the most part, it's really not a big factor for me this week. I think that's a good way to tie a bow around week 18. And with that, the regular season, a couple of quick questions as we get ready to look ahead to the playoffs as well. First off, when we get to the playoffs, fewer games, a bit of a different market. Does your approach change at all compared to the regular season? Um, you know, it does to where there's more markets for an individual game during the playoffs because all these books are trying to get more action and there's just more betting options. So I will dig a little deeper into them. And I've also noticed that a lot of books are more lenient on prop betters during these big games. Obviously the Super Bowl is where they're the most lenient, but even during the playoffs, they're willing to put out more stuff and take more derivative bets to drive more action since there's, going to be obviously less games for them. So they want to get as much handle as possible. So that's one of the ways that I think during the playoffs that you're taking more advantage of things, because let's be honest, you're not going to be betting huge amounts on the spreads and the totals during the playoffs because the market's going to be pretty efficient with those lines. So I think that that's the big difference that you're going to find is you're going to find a lot more derivative markets that you could try to take advantage of during the playoffs. To your point about not betting as much on spreads because the lines can be really tight. As we get ready for the playoffs, are there any teams that we know are in or that you anticipate will be in that you consider yourself to be higher on or lower on than the marketplace right now? Um, yeah, for, for me, it would probably be the Chargers if they get in, just because I believe they're a high-variance team. You, you saw them multiple times this year. They could be as high variance as losing the Texans or they could be as high variance as beating the Chiefs, almost beating, should have beat the Chiefs the second time. Their game against Dallas was super competitive. They've shown that they can compete the top teams in the league and they're going to be so aggressive that they're going to play a high variance game where they can win the game or they can lose by 30, but that's going to be a dangerous team in the playoffs. So I think that the Chargers would be a team that, I would look out for, and I'm probably lower on Philly. And the reason for me on Philly is that Philly has dominated the bad teams this year, and they've played like garbage against the good teams this year. Well, guess what's going to happen in the playoffs? You're going to be facing the bad teams, or you're going to be facing the good teams in the playoffs? It's going to be the good teams. So for me, Philly, I'm still not a full believer. And Jalen Hurts, this offense, I, I think that if you're, you're going to find teams that could take away the run and make Hurts beat them in the pocket, which I don't think he could do. So 
for me, that would be the two teams, the, the team I'm high on and, and the team I'm low on. And when it comes to the Eagles, I know that there seems to be a pretty decent probability that they will draw the Bucks for the second time this season. And one of my big takeaways following things a little bit more analytically as a better this year has just been the reinforced notion that a good run defense in general isn't necessarily a good run defense against a mobile quarterback. So with the Bucks' run defense being a real strength of the team, I know they're a much better team than the Eagles, but do you think Jalen Hurts might be able to make a little bit of noise if we do get that matchup during wildcard weekend? Uh, to be honest, I think it's a bad matchup for them. And I know these teams played earlier in the season and Tampa pretty much controlled that game against, against them as, as most of the good teams that played the Eagles this year have done. And I think that, the Eagles, if they get in the playoffs, they're really going to want to play a team that could struggles against the run. Maybe like a Green Bay would be a better matchup for them if they happen to advance the second round because Green Bay's run defense has been an issue for them for a lot of years now. And But for me, I feel to be honest, I feel like Tampa would probably be one of the worst matchups possible for them where you just know that you know, teams against Tampa, they don't even try to run the ball and they get into this heavy throwing game against them. And I just don't think that that's the style that the Eagles could play. Looking briefly at another team that's new to the playoff mix this season, the Cincinnati Bengals. One of my favorite lines from any conversations I've had so far on this show was you referring to the Bengals this summer as a Walmart version of the Cowboys. How has your opinion changed on Cincinnati over the year? And do you think they have much of a chance, perhaps along the lines of the Chargers, should the Chargers get in, of being one of those high-variance teams? Well, it's funny because I must have stared at betting the Bengals to win the AFC North at 20-1 to or better. I almost made that bet probably 10 separate times this offseason when I was at Sportsbucks. Maybe I should bet the Bengals. Maybe I and I didn't do it. And I said that comment about them that they were kind of the bootleg Walmart version of of the <laughs> Cowboys. And look what happened. I mean, they put it all together this year, and I ended up with nothing. And then it's funny actually. I did bet them to win the division about two weeks ago. I bet them. I bet them at plus one fifty. So a little bit Something. less of, of odds than twenty to one, like it was in the off season, but. You know, it's probably going to – I think maybe they can make some noise like the first week of the playoffs, but I think it's going to be tough for them. It's still such a young team with such little experience. I'm not fully sold on Zach Taylor right now. I still think that they have a lot of building to do as far as their offensive line goes and their defense goes. So – it's a team that I think they could be entertaining. Maybe they'll, they'll play a good game or two in the playoffs, but I think that there is a ceiling attached to the Bengals right now. On that note, last topic, got to weave in the other pillar of this podcast, the hop side of things. Last time we connected on it, you had recently gotten engaged in the summer in the Bahamas, and you had mentioned drinking at the same really nice hotel as some NFL stars. That sounded like a phenomenal experience. I know you're more of a cocktails guy than a beer guy, and that's totally cool. Any cocktails you've been enjoying lately that you recommend for the audience? Well, 
Not really lately because of the corona. Yeah, pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, it's – I've really gotten into – I've always – Jack Daniels has been my favorite. I think that you might have got me a drink when we were at Bet Bash or we had a drink together, and it was – Jack and Coke is always one of my go-tos, which, you know, it's a basic drink, but whatever. It gets the job done. Can't go wrong with it. It satisfies my taste buds. So that's usually the thing with me, but I've been kind of introduced to old fashions recently, there we go. which I've definitely been a fan of. I know a lot of times in old fashion, they'll use, um, what do they usually, it's not usually whiskey, is it? Or is it whiskey? It's whiskey or bourbon with it's bourbon, some bitters, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of times it's a certain bourbon that I've never heard of every time. And I always say, oh, I want a Jack Daniels old fashioned. And you know, if you get, if you go to a place that really makes it good, then it's definitely I found it to be pretty enjoyable. So that that would probably be the the number one thing that's on my uh, hitman drinking list right now. And I think that tomorrow is going to be finally the first time that I go out and have a drink. I'm about eleven days since I had COVID. It's still a little stuffy, as you can hear my voice, but I'm pretty much over it. So I'm hoping that tomorrow I can finally have that uh, first old fashioned since COVID and I'll be thinking of the podcast when I do that. Love it. Yeah. The old fashioned definitely at the top of my cocktail drinking list as well. So we can put that high on the radar for bet bash two in Vegas. Two of the best old fashions I've had in my life have been in Vegas. So we can try to either hit up some of those spots or maybe find something new, but plenty of good possibilities there. Oh, well, you know, I used to live in Vegas for a little bit. and It was only, it was a short amount of time, but I, I love I love Vegas, and I visited probably a dozen times that I've ever, I visited there. So I, I know a lot of the good spots out there. My, my there, there's two things that I'm good at opinion wise is I can have a sharp opinion on betting every now and then, and I have I like to consider myself a very sharp food opinion. And mm-hmm. you can't really tell because I'm pretty damn skinny, but that's one of my passions is a good restaurant, and I know a lot of them out there. A lot of good drink spots out there. So for sure, I'm looking forward to it. What's your favorite restaurant in Vegas? You know, my favorite restaurant, I would probably say, would be Capo's Speak Easy. C-A-P-O-S, Speak Easy. And if you look it up, Bar Rescue just rescued them about a year ago. And Taffer did the whole thing there. And they weren't rescued. You know, usually with Bar Rescue, you see that it's a shithole of a place. Well, no, this was because of Corona that they had to shut down for a little bit. And Taffer was rescuing a bunch of bars and restaurants in Vegas, which is his hometown. And that was one of the spots that they rescued. So I would definitely check out that episode because it is a pretty one it's not overly priced because it's off the strip. It's on Sahara Avenue, I believe, about 10 minutes off the strip. And it's all mob-themed. When you get there, you knock on the door. They ask you for a passcode. You have uh, Goodfellas and Casino and Godfather playing on televisions throughout. It's completely dark. You need a flashlight to see the menu. Live music with Sinatra. Mob-themed everywhere. It's really a nice place just setting wise and their food is excellent. Definitely recommend best meatballs, 
best meatball I've ever had. It's a huge meatball. It's like four people to share, but best I've ever had. And the cocktails are excellent there. Totally recommend that place. And like I said, because it's off the strip, they're not going to kill you on the price. So that'd be, that would be probably be my number one restaurant in, in Vegas. And I'll definitely be visiting there sometime during the week that I'm there during Bet Bash. Yeah, well, I will be selling myself short if I can't find a way to join you there. I am absolutely sold. And the fact that you went off the strip right off the bat tells me you're onto something with breaking this down. So, yeah, I, I think we can definitely make it out there. And for any of the audience that may be in the Vegas area, you probably already know about it. But if you're not in the Vegas area and will be there anytime soon, I looked it up as we were talking because this was new to me. Looks like it's just a few blocks west of the Sahara and the Strat. So, if somebody's staying on that end of the strip, you know, it's, it's probably a decent walk or a pretty short Uber. So easily accessible also from the downtown area. I know Bet Bash 2 being at Circa, um, pretty accessible from a lot of Vegas. So can't wait to check that out. And Tommy, as we wrap this up, want to make sure to plug your work so people know where they can find you on Twitter at Hitman428. You're also the star of the Hot Read Hits podcast by Bet Prep. I see that you are going to participate in a wildcard weekend roundtable on Twitter Spaces uh, next Thursday, January 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. So people can set their reminders for that right now if they're interested. Of course, people can also find you at pregame.com and offering weekly best bets on the Dream Preview. Is there anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? No, that's about it. Um, yeah, with that Twitter space going to be me it's going to be brad feinberg who a lot of people aren't familiar with but he has been a professional better and a professional dfs player for many years so he has a very sharp opinion specifically on player props and i believe we're going to have uh, steve fezzik is going to be joining us nice. for the, that as well as a guest so it's definitely going to be very informative and i would recommend checking it out yeah, I loved Fezzik hosting a Hot Read Hits episode with you earlier this season when he was filling in. So going to see him back in the fold in that sense as well. I will certainly plan on being there along with plenty of others, I'm sure. And at this point, I'd like to thank you once again for your time and insight. Already looking forward to bringing you back on the show for a sixth time before too long. Sounds good. Looking forward to talking to everybody. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks again to Tommy the Hitman. And thank you for listening. If you found any value in our conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A close second would be to check out the BetUS NFL show I'm hosting on YouTube with professional bettors Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen. We're breaking down every game every week, and that includes week 18. Early listeners to this episode can catch our pick show on Friday, January 7th at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. To check it out, just give a little love tap to that link in the show notes. One housekeeping item as we close up shop, if you live in an area where wagering is legal and want to kill two birds with one stone, go ahead and sign up for a sports book via any of the links at the bottom of the Props and Hops landing page on Dimers.com. That way you can get down on some edges while supporting this show along the way, and you guessed it, you can also find a link to that page in these show notes. All right, that'll do it. Best of luck with your Week 18 action. I'll talk to you next week ahead of the first ever Super Wildcard Weekend in the NFL. And until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well.